This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This message is part of a series entitled, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Continue our journey through the Word of the Lord, especially here in the Gospel of John. Not that titles of series or these types of things are that significant, but yet I think it can be helpful as we look at John's gospel. We have simply called this series, Look and Live. And as we look at this section today and last week and next week, the beginning of, of these verses here in John's gospel kind of sets the tone for the, for the rest of the book. It is an introductory statements about who Christ is and why he came and then sets the, the, the foundation for which uh, the writer of the gospel, John, lays out who Christ is, why he came, the impact that he has had. If you look at the gospel of John, it talks a lot about light and life. And if we think about it, even this morning, we think about look and live. If we take that into, and then just kind of look at it from a different way, if we look, we know we will live. If we see Christ for who he is, we will have life. And also we understand that if we have no life, if we don't have that life, it's because we've never really looked and seen who Christ is. But I'll be the first to admit I'm a, I'm a positive guy. I tend to be positive. I try to look at the glasses half full instead of half empty. But yet I look out into a, a world and I have a, a positive attitude of why we're here and what the world is all about. But if you look out in our world today, I don't see life. I don't see people living the life of the song. Think about the songs that we just sang. Who can satisfy? Now, did you mean that? Do we need to get everybody up here and we can sing it again? Do we really believe that about Jesus Christ? Yes or no? We don't act like it. I mean, who can satisfy? Is it Christ? A reigning king? A a victorious warrior? Or is it our job? and our relationships, and financial peace, and things that we feel like that we need, things that we are so consumed of this side of heaven, because it looks like that we say one thing, but we live another as a society. Who can satisfy? Politics? Is it who's in the White House that brings it? Now everything's going to be better. And you hear other people say, in four more years, it'll be better. Who can satisfy? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ or is it not? Today, I want you to look and to live. And I want you to understand what true life is. What, who can satisfy? Nothing but a king and a victorious warrior that reigns on high and his name is 
is Jesus Christ. Turn in your scripture, if you will. We're going to begin there in verse 6. I, it's funny because I told Joy a few weeks ago, my first sermon in John was going to be verses 1 through 18. That was two weeks ago, and we're still not there. How can you rush through the Word of God? I want us to look at it this morning. Last week, we looked at the Word, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the Word again. But this morning, I want us to look at verses 6 through 13 and understand this. Jesus Christ is the true light. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. i tell you something I did years ago. I was sitting in church as a young pastor, back when I was young. And jokingly, I said that that's my favorite verse in the Bible. I was just being silly. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. And immediately, one of our deacons said, yeah, and they beheaded him. <laughs> so that's no longer my favorite verse in all of Scripture. But there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. All might believe through Christ. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet, notice this, he made the world, he sustains the world, he rules the world, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. Now, just think about this. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But... But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you are the true light. And Lord, as we open up these verses and look at your announcement and your coming, I pray that we realize where we stand in relationship with you, that we truly acknowledge your lordship over our life, and that we would not be as those in creation and those that are your own that have rejected, but we are those that have received. We thank you, Christ. We thank you for coming. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the word that is here today to open up our blinded eyes and our hardened heart to the truth of the gospel. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to look at this in two ways. Two, I guess you could say two main parts. His announcement and his coming. But I want to spend most of our time as we look at the verses on his coming and what that looks like. But first, notice there in verses 6 through 8, the light and his announcement. Then there was a man who was John, John the Baptist. And if you think about Scripture, it's really fascinating to think about. If we look at Malachi, that would have been the, the last of, of the Old Testament writings, there's silence. And you may know this, you've probably read this in different places, there was 400 years of silence. Now that does not mean that God did not do anything or, or people did not live their lives, but there was 400 years of silence after Malachi. God had, had stopped speaking in such a way. And so there's 400 years of silence. 
We know in Genesis that man had fallen and there was sin. We know that in Genesis that all of the Old Testament points toward the coming of a Messiah. All of the Old Testament is pointing toward Jesus Christ and the need of his coming and the story of redemption. And all of those in the Old Testament would have been anticipating that day. And for 400 years there was silence. There was religion. There was the law. And there was works, but silence. Now think about this. Remember the story when Elizabeth conceived and had John the Baptist and and it was Mary that went to see the relative. And when when Mary entered into the presence of Elizabeth, the, the scripture tells us that John in the wound of her mother leapt in the presence of of Christ and Mary. And that John the Baptist was going to be a forerunner. So think about this. Think about the announcement of Jesus Christ and his coming. There was a man. And he was called the forerunner. And he pointed the way. He was sent from God. Now that's a, that's a great thing about the Lord. And we're going to talk a lot about God's rule and purpose as we look at this text. As we begin it and as we end it. See, God had a plan. He had always had a plan, and that plan of redemption has always been through Jesus Christ. I get so aggravated when the world says there's many ways to God. No, there's one way to God. There's one way that we can know God. There's one way to peace with God. There's one way to have a relationship with God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light, and he is the life, and there's no other way. And I think one of the problems that we've lost our effectiveness as a church is we don't believe that. We live in our society and we see good people do good things, but they're not believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we begin to question and we begin to doubt there's one way. And God sent a man to proclaim that one way. At the right time, at the right place, at the right point of history, John the Baptist was born and he announced the coming of Jesus Christ. And he was right in the midst of dead religion and he was right in the midst of the law and he looked into the hearts and the minds of the people and he said, there's a new day coming and you better repent and be baptized, you brood of vipers, and you need to believe because he's coming. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. He knew that there was a light that was coming. Now, you think about that just for a second. It wasn't about John the Baptist. It was about Jesus Christ. A lot of times I hear in in, uh, uh, circles, you know, it's like, well, I like this pastor. I like this person. I like this church. I like this style. I like this thing. Listen, it's not about these things. It's not about the vehicle. It's about that which the vehicle is pointing to. What we're doing today is not about John Joy mad. It's not about you. It's not about what we're doing. It's not about what we've already done. Everything we do today points to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why we come to church? For the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why we give every Sunday? I tell people this. Those that don't give, that's a heart problem. Those that don't come to church, that's a heart problem. Those that don't serve in a church, that's a heart problem. It's a Jesus problem. 
It's not, a, it's not a culture problem. It's not a church problem. It's, a lot of times people say, well, we don't do this. The, the church has lost its effectiveness. We've done this, and we don't go to church because of that. We don't know. We do what we do when we realize who Christ is. It wasn't about John the Baptist. He was just pointing to Christ. This isn't about me. I'm just pointing you to Christ. This isn't about anything that we do. It's about pointing people to Christ. John the Baptist pointed people to a redemptive history that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming. And I think about our life. How many people are we pointing to Christ with the way that we live our life, the things that we share, the way that we live, the things that we believe? It's not about us. It's not about this church. It's not about anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. It always has. It always will be. We don't bear witness to anything but to Jesus Christ. So think about it in the context of what the verse is saying, though. What a pivotal point in history. The world is literally going to hell in a handbasket. And John the Baptist says, but there's one that is coming. Can I let you in on a little secret? He's already came. He announced his coming. He's already come. I wish I could see y'all could see y'all's faces. If I had my phone, I promise you, if I had my phone in my pocket, I would take your picture right now, take a time out, run up there and give it to Stanley and say, please show this because y'all act like Jesus isn't coming or has never been here. Just smile when I say that. He's already come. Do I need to call Pastor Stevenson? Don't make me call him. If you don't get that, that's on you. You chose not to come that night. Amen. Amen. John the Baptist announced his coming. He came. The light and his coming. Point two, a lot of subpoints under it. The light and his announcement, Jesus. John represented the old, Jesus represented the new. John represented the law, but Christ represented grace. The messenger is never the light. Our mission is to point people to the light. God is a purpose of order. He's had a plan since creation. John the Baptist stepped in at the right time, at the right place, exactly the right moment to announce his coming. The light in his coming. Verse 9 the word redemption. He's come. John's writing the gospel, you may remember, several years after the other gospels would have been written. There are several things that John doesn't touch on, several things that John does. John was not concerned about the narrative of, of, of the coming of, of what Christ did. John is always concerned who Christ is, not what he had done. Matthew, Mark, and Luke chronologically look at the life of Christ. John chronologically looks at the life of Christ. But his concern is why Jesus came, who he is. And he says there in verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. The light and his coming. Number 1, verse 9, redemption. Now you look at that verse and you think about the coming of Jesus Christ. What a great word that we have here, redemption. He came, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. 
When we think about Genesis in the fall, what was the fix? What was the remedy? What brought about forgiveness? What brought about redemption? Jesus Christ. Who can satisfy? Jesus Christ. What is the answer to everything? Jesus Christ. When Christ came, he was an enlightenment and revelation of God to all humanity. Basically, what Christ was saying in his coming, this is it. This is the answer. We were created, but yet we're separated. And Christ says, here's the answer. Here's the answer for humanity. He looked into the world when he was born and when he lived and when he died and when he rose again. And he basically says, this is the story of redemption to all. Jesus Christ. There's no other name. There's no other person. There's no other way. John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He enlightened. He revealed God to humanity through Jesus Christ. We have a general revelation. This is what's so crazy to me when we think about the world. People said, I don't believe in God. That is foolish. What does foolish mean? Y'all have forgotten already what foolish means in the Greek? They're morons. Kids, kids left the other day and goes, that was such a great message from the pastor. We're morons. Well, they got something out of it. Think about how moronic this sounds. I don't think there is a God. He created you. We don't think there's a God. He created it. I mean, that doesn't even make, say that out loud. I've had people come to me and go, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I think so-and-so's an atheist. There's no such thing. He created us. Like there's an option. Oh, all the atheists stand over here. Everybody believe there's not a God. Stand over here. He created you. Isn't that crazy to think about? All of creation looks and knows there is a God. They've been drawing pictures of things on caves since the history of mankind. No one is without excuse, Roman 1 tells us. Not one person is without excuse. There's no such thing as an atheist. He created us. But here's what Christ does. I'm special revelation. I'm salvific. I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. And he is the answer. He is the enlightenment. That does not mean that he enlightened everyone. And there are some false understandings in our world today that because Christ did come, everybody's going to be saved. Well, that, we know that's not true. But he is the means by which we are saved. Christ. That's why we're excited about the gospel. Because he did come. He is the true light which enlightens. So here's a, here's a great way to think of this. If Christ is the one that enlightens everyone, what do we need to be about? The gospel. I got a call one day as a pastor. I love my phone calls. Pastor, I can guarantee you we can double your attendance. Wow. Now, granted, sometimes I overthink. Say that out loud. That's my new thing. Say it out loud. Next time you want to say something stupid, say it out loud first to make sure how stupid it is. 
I am selling something that will double your church attendance and your membership. I have got something in my briefcase that changes someone's heart and they brings about redemption. It brings forgiveness of sin. If you just do it right and present it right and share it right, people will be saved. That makes no sense. But he did throw this in. But if we don't double your attendance, you can give us back the money. True story. You can find it on Facebook all the time. If you, if you have, I guess because I'm a pastor and do religious things, I get these little ads. There is nothing that will grow his church other than him. I could cut a deal with Owens Automotive or Wells Automotive. And every week we could give away 10 cars in here. That got them Owens and Wales going right there, didn't it? <laughs> We're going to give away 10 cars every week. But in order to get that car, you got to be here every week. And we can pack this place out. We can have go-go girls and tambourines and lights. And we could give free pizza and donuts. And boy, we could just say, I'm not going to preach. We're not going to give an offering. We're just going to have fun. And we're going to play. And we're going to give away free stuff and pack this place out. But if they never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'll never meet the light of the world. He enlightens everyone. But only through him can he be enlightening to everyone. John the Baptist was the forerunner. We see there in verse 9, this true light was coming into the world. Redemption. Look, if you will, to John 16. I don't have that on there, but turn real quick to John 16. I was actually reading this in my own devotional reading the other day. John chapter 16. Let me see if I can find it. I got it. John chapter 16, Christ is making his way from the upper room to the cross. He's, he's pouring his life into the disciples these last few hours. John 16, halfway through verse 4. I, do not say the, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrows fill your heart. Christ is leaving the upper room. He's going to the cross. He's preparing the disciples that he's about to be crucified, and he will be leaving them. Notice what he says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come, the paraclete will not come, the Holy Spirit will not come. Don't you add God has a plan? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. See how God's doing this? The Son must die on the cross for our sin. And when the Son goes to the right hand of the Father, the Father sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. He will convict the world concerning righteousness and judgment. Verse 13, when the Spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Verse 14, he will glorify me. Christ did come. Christ did die. Christ did send the Holy Spirit. He has enlightened everyone. Isn't that incredible to think about? Have we forgotten that? He is the light. 
And the Spirit points to the Son as a light. It is the Spirit, even in our heart this morning, it is the Holy Spirit that is convicting us of our relationship with the Son. It is the Spirit that is convicting us. Do we know the light? Do we love the light? Are we following after the light? Is Christ Lord of my life? That is the Spirit that is doing that. And the Spirit came to enlighten and to convict and to judge. So verse 9, we have his coming redemption. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. We have the word realization. Now we know that, here's the thing about it, the rocks would cry out, right? And that's what Christ told the Pharisees, listen, if they didn't say a word, the rocks would cry out. The rocks get it. Man didn't get it. They were dead, and they were blind, and there was Christ. Nothing's changed. Why does the world do what the world does? Because of who the world is. See, that's one of our problems. We're wanting the world to act better apart from the gospel, but that's never going to happen. The world does what it does because of who it is. Don't you get frustrated when you see the world in action? Just turn on the news. It's so frustrating. The world is never going to receive Jesus Christ. He created and it says they didn't even know him. He was in the world and the world was made through him. He made them, yet the world did not know him. They were dead and they were blind. There's an epidemic of death and blindness in our world today. And they do not realize that the only hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Realization. The light was coming, redemption. The light was coming, realization. Look at verse 11. The light was coming. It gets even better. Rejection. Who would have been waiting for the Messiah to come? The Jews. I mean, that, that, they, they've grown up hearing that story. The Messiah's coming. The Messiah is coming. He came and they rejected him. Notice what the word says. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You remember a few weeks ago we were talking about Israel and the old covenant. See, that's why we're not under any bondage to the old covenant. There's nothing in the old covenant that's binding. So many times I hear people say, well, it says right there, listen, we can't just take bits and pieces of the old covenant and say that this we obey. We'd have to obey all the old covenant. Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant. See, we don't live under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. We live under Christ. He came, and and so when he came, they were looking for an old covenant Messiah leader. They were looking for a Patton-type person, George Patton. Remember George Patton? Some of y'all remember George Patton? The World War II general, charge of the Third Army in Germany, the Battle of the Bulge. That's what they were looking for. Deliver us from oppression. Deliver us from the Roman bondage. And deliver us, make us the great nation of Israel again. Make us a great people with a great land and a great possession. And that's what we're waiting for. But evidently they didn't read Isaiah and Jeremiah. 
that there was a suffering servant, there's a new covenant coming, and they rejected it. They rejected him, listen to this, they rejected him because he was not the Christ they were looking for. Can we apply that into our current setting in our world today? We reject Christ when we don't accept Christ for who he is. Let me tell you what Jesus Christ is not. He's not a get out of hell free card. Anybody ever heard that expression? Jesus Christ is just not something that we believe in. And because we're Baptists and we have good theology and we believe in perseverance of the saint. Well, I believe in Christ. So therefore, I've got my get out of hell free card. And I know that I'm saved. Once saved, always saved because I believe in Christ. Let me tell you who else believes in Christ. Satan believes in Christ. The demons believe in Christ. What the Jews did not believe was who Christ is. Who can satisfy? We sang it. Did you believe it? You know, when you're preaching on Christ and you're singing that, it kind of gets you going a little bit. He is a victorious warrior. He is a Lord. He is a king. He is worthy. Revelation 4 said that he is worthy of our our praise and adoration. And there's a a, a scene in heaven where we're going to be bowing down and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're not worshiping him down here for who he is, you're not going to worship him up there for who he is. We don't come to Christ on our terms. We come to Christ on his terms. That's why it's so important as a church we don't dumb down the gospel. Somebody asked me, when I was interviewed going to work with the North American Mission Board, I said, well, you're coming aboard North American Mission Board. We want to interview and we want to talk to you about your view of, uh, of salvation, your view of sharing the gospel, and your view of this. And I said, well, I'll tell you one thing I will never do. I'm not a salesman for Jesus. I'm not going to peddle the gospel. I'm not going to manipulate people. I don't believe in easy believism. I don't believe that we just get everybody to recite a prayer and and believe in Jesus and you can be saved. I'm not giving away door prizes. I'm not giving away free stuff. If I cannot stand up and uh, boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and ask someone to believe the message that God has said and accept Christ for who he is, if you'll accept Christ for who he is and you will come today, the scripture says that's sharing the gospel. You know, I've actually been in, in settings where somebody would say, now don't say that, you won't get any decisions. Josh Bonini, where's Josh? Raise your hand. This is his last Sunday with us. He's going off to the Air Force, going to boot camp. They call it boot camp in the Air Force. Josh, let me tell you something. You get to sleep at 10 every day. Every Friday you load up and you go to the, you're going to be in San Antonio so you can't go to the beach. But every Friday is free time. And I know what people tell you. It is not the truth. You do whatever you want to do. I'm going to give you a pastor card. So when you get there, you tell them, my pastor said I don't have to do all this, all right? 
What, a, what, what disservice would that be if we told him that? It's hard. You're going to wake up that first day and think, what in the world was I thinking? But you can get through it. There's been a lot of us go through it. And you can get it. If I can get you can do it, okay? Why do we do the gospel that way? You don't have to change what you're doing. You, do, you keep living the same way that you're living. You live in sin and Jesus loves you and Jesus forgives you. You don't have to forsake anything. Just believe in Christ, pray this prayer, and you can go to heaven one day. Why do we do the gospel that way? Why are we so afraid to share the gospel in a way that we are presenting who God is and our need for salvation and the sinfulness of mankind and the redemption that Christ provides on the cross and our response to Christ and what it means to forsake everything to have King Jesus and how that radically changes your life and how you may lose your friends and you may lose other things, but you'll gain everything when you gain Christ. Why are we afraid to say that? We take the gospel and we create this something of easy believism and we sell the gospel so short. The Jews nailed Christ to a cross because he was not the Christ that they wanted. But he was the Christ that God provided. I remember riding down the road one day and, and, and really struggling with the assurance of my salvation. Now, I'm going to just say this. Sin needs to be the issue from which you came to Christ. Did you repent of your sin when you came to Christ? Are you living a life based on that forgiveness of sin, that God's holiness and your forgiveness of sin and your desire is to live and to please Christ? We, we've taken a relationship with Christ as in a day of the week or, or coming to church or doing these things. Listen, we do these things because of what Christ has done for us. I believe more than anything we need to be churches that preach the gospel harder and more passionately and more loving because the world is getting further and further away from the things of Christ. Pastor told me, don't preach on marriage. That way you won't have to deal with it. Lord, help us if I cannot stand in a pulpit and say what God's view of marriage is. That I can't stand in a pulpit and say this is right and this is wrong and this is the gospel and this is why we need it. If we cannot do that, we might as well not put church on the sign and put some civic organization and we can meet whenever we want to. But the Jews rejected Christ because of who they thought Christ should be. Here's a way that we explain who Christ is. Taking the Old Testament narrative. He is our prophet he is our priest, and he is our king. It is Jesus Christ as our prophet that reveals God to us. If you want to have a relationship with God, it is only through Jesus Christ. He is our priest. Sin is at the heart of the issue. When you, wherever you, whenever you were saved, whenever it took place at that moment, sin's the issue. 
my moment was I'd grown up going to church and hearing the stories and believing all the facts. I don't think I was ever a moment I didn't believe in God, but that doesn't mean I was a believer. But I was sitting there that Sunday, uh, not even a Sunday, I think it was a Friday night at a youth rally, and the preacher was preaching, and sin became the issue. My sin became the issue. What Christ did for my sin became the issue. He became my prophet, but he also became my priest. Only through Christ. But he's also a king. For some reason with men, we and this is a, a sad fact, do you know that Christian bookstores are set up for women? Did you know that? That's not a bad thing, I'm just telling you. So in other words, if they set up Christian bookstores like the hardware store, they'd be bankrupt. Have you ever noticed that? Go into a Christian bookstore, it's set up for it's, it's appealing to women. Coach Jackson will ask me to pray for football with a football team. He's a head coach at Hammer Time. And I remember the first time I prayed, I said, God, I pray that you raise up men that love you and that we are warriors for the gospel. And I heard a kid say, well, I never thought about following Jesus as being a warrior. I said, that's the point. He is a warrior. And he died for our sin, and he wants nothing more than us to, to follow him as the king of the universe. You want to talk about a man getting excited about something? We ought to have Christian bookstores set up where men understand what it means to lead their home and to be the, the warrior king of that household that God has created us to be. He is king, and he is ruling and reigning over his redeemed people. We don't follow Jesus Christ like he is a king, do we? You know how much I love college football. Think about Nick Saban. I mean, they worship Nick Saban. All you Alabama folks, you have good reason to worship Nick Saban. Oh, Nick Saban. Steve Spurrier. We're going to name the field after him. At least he's Presbyterian. Tim Tebow. Why don't we follow Jesus Christ like that? I said, who do you follow? I follow Christ. Where do you, you know, how, how, men folk, I, this is free. This wasn't planned this morning. Here's a typical guy. Well, my wife and kids go to church. Yeah, I go. And I, it's like we're embarrassed. Yes, I go to church. I have repented and given my life to Jesus Christ. The old man is no longer. Yes, I did some things I wish I wouldn't have done. But I have given my life to Jesus Christ. And there's no other place I'd rather be than following after King Jesus. The last time we've heard a man say that. Well, the old lady drags me to church. Aren't you grateful for women that get us men up and go to church? Isn't that sad though? Well, we get up. If men got excited about Jesus Christ as they do Obama and Trump, think of a better place we'd be. I've seen sane men act like complete morons over an election. I've got friends that probably have Trump tattooed on their forehead and they whisper the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. He is a mighty warrior, and this is what happened. They rejected him. 
Every Sunday morning, I'll stand down here this morning and I'm going to ask somebody that if they're willing to publicly profess their allegiance to Jesus Christ, I'll say, you know, if you're here today and you've given your life to Christ and you want to take part in this church, if you're just, almost like I almost apologize. I've told Matt before, I think I just want to cut the invitation out. Because I feel like I'm just having to apologize for it. Well, if you're here today and you might not want us to come in front of people and you, you might be, no, then you can just send me an email. Really? If you're here today and you want to bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we're going to sing a song and I want you to be the first one down here to say, I'll follow King Jesus. How about that for an invitation? If we can't do that, then I'm just going to turn around and sing with you. But that's where we are. We are so afraid to call out people to follow Christ. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And then last, verses 12 and 13, reception. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. But, I love that word, but. But, we reject, we deny, we have nothing to do with But, but, all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. Why did he send his son? Why did he send his son anyway? Why did he nail him on the cross? Why was he beaten? Why did did he shed his blood for us when we could not do it? Why did he do for us something that we could never do on our own? Why did he make a way of salvation? Why is Christ who he is? Because those who have received him for who he is become children of God. That's it. The gospel. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who believed that he is Jesus Christ, they believe every aspect of who he is. They know what sin is. They know what it means to repent of their sin. They understand what lordship looks like. They understand what the Savior means. They get it. They're they're yielding their life to Christ. They love Christ and they want to serve Christ. We, We know that Christ takes us as we are and makes us into his glorious image. It's a lifelong commitment as a disciple. They believe that. They believe that about him, and they receive him. They don't just acknowledge. They don't just check a box. They don't just agree with some historical facts. They receive him. What do you think the word receive means? To take and to grasp and to bring into. You know, there's nothing more aggravating. You know, me in football, coaching football, you get out there and you Especially, I've coached a lot of middle school and JV. It's hard to pass the younger you are. You know, you finally get the protection. You finally get the quarterback to figure out what he's doing. You finally get the receiver to run the right route, and you're on the sideline, and everything's opening up, and you're just like, you feel like Steve Spurrier. I can't believe I just said that, you know. You're fixing to complete a passing play, and all of a sudden the ball's thrown, and everything it hits him right in the hands. Sometimes it hits him in the face mask and falls to the ground. You can sit and agree and agree and agree. But if you don't receive, you're not one of his. 
See, what happens a lot of times is we start thinking about the gospel. And I heard a, heard a pastor say this one time, witnessing somebody, what is that one thing keeping you from becoming a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? And that made me think about it. I wonder how many times people sit there and they wonder and they wonder and they wonder. But let's look further. He gave the right. Who gave the right? He gave the right to become children of God. Now notice this, verse 13, we'll close with this. What does it mean to receive Christ? Those that have received Christ who were born, not of blood. Now what does that mean? We think of that. It doesn't matter what family you're born into. You know, I think a lot of times for, for a while anyway, not the way anywhere, if you were just an American, you were a Christian. I uh, saw somewhere the other day that we're the third most unreached. We had the third most unreached people in any other country than India and China, America. So can't say that anymore. But used to be, if you were from America, you were a Christian. No, it's not about your blood. It's not about what family you were bought into. Redemptive, you know, you're not going to come to Christ because of anything that you were born into nor of the will of the flesh. There's nothing in us that is going to allow us just to say no to the flesh. You ever thought about that from a salvific standpoint? You mean, all of a sudden you just don't wake up one day and, you know, I just hate sin. You know, I think, I think I'm going to try something else. This isn't working out. There's nothing that we just, here's the idea. There's nothing that can take place. If you, if you drop somebody in an isolated place and you say, get saved, there's nothing in and of themselves that they're just going to decide one day that they need forgiveness of sin and they need to be saved. Nothing. It's not of the blood. It's not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man. You know, it's just not like somebody wakes up one day and says, you know, I think I'm going to give this a try. But what does it say? This is what makes the gospel so exciting. But what? But born of God. Have you ever thought about that? I'm not born of the will of man, the will of flesh, or the will of blood. I just I don't receive Christ because I was just born on my, on my own. And, and it's not like, well, why wouldn't God just save me? I was born of God. You know, one of the great, remarkable things about grace is it's a gift of God. We're saved through grace, by grace through faith. What is it? The gift of God. Not of works or any man should boast. You know, when you think about your salvation, think about this. He sent John the Baptist to point to Christ, the announcement. He came. They rejected. What did we do, any special, that we didn't reject? It's a gift of God. I can't explain it, but I embrace it. I can't wrap my arms around it, but I embrace it. I'm not born of man. I was born of God. You think about the idea of what God does behind the scenes. Have you ever thought about what in the world, why were you born in America and to the family you have and the church that you attend? Have you ever thought about that? See, we live in a world that we think there's random chance and choice. One of the words that we use, and, and I hate using words that aren't in the Bible, 
because we don't know how to define them. Someone came up to me in this city the other day, are you a Calvinist? What exactly, what does that mean? Do you believe babies go to hell? Well, I personally believe there is a standpoint of accountability, but yet I have no control over that. Do you believe in free will? Well, what is free will? It's not in the Bible, but what is it? Does free will mean that, okay, God, I got this. All right? Does does free will mean that I just have no, God has no control over my life whatsoever? Is that what free will means? That free will means that, that somebody comes to Christ on their own free will, God has no control over it, and God is up in heaven looking down going, oh my goodness, oh, oh. God's got his fingers crossed. Oh, choose me. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But do we think God is up in heaven in an assembly line and like playing duck, duck, goose in heaven? Hell, 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 heaven, heaven, heaven. You know what duck, duck, goose is? Duck, 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 goose. And when you hit goose, you're, y'all don't play duck, duck, goose. So God is up in heaven. Heaven, 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 hell, heaven, 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 hell. Does that sound like the God of Scripture? I don't believe in free will if you define free will the way people should define free will. Let me read you something about free will. And you tell me if this aligns with your view of God. And if it does, we need to meet at 430. God dignifies us with free will. Now this is, I'll get to the end, the punchline's at the end. This is a theological statement off a website. God dignifies us with free will the power to make decisions on our own rather than having God or fate to determine what we do. And then it goes on to say, I love the way people throw Bible in here, their convenience. God created human beings, but unlike animals, which act mainly on instinct, we resemble our creator in capacity to such such qualities, love and justice. And and like our creator, like, like our creator, we have free will. Say that out loud. That we're created in the image of God, and because he can do whatever he wants to do, he's God, and we're creating his image, we can do whatever we want to do. See where we're going? To a great extent, we determine our future. The Bible encourages us, choose life by choosing to obey his commands. This offer would be meaningless, even cruel, if we lacked free will. Our success or our failure is not determined by fate. If we want to succeed in an endeavor, we must work hard. All that your hands find to do, says the Bible, do with every power. Free will is a precious gift from God. Let us love him with our whole heart because we want to. Doesn't God control all things? The Bible teaches that God is almighty, that his power is not limited by anyone other than himself. However, he does not use his power to control everything. For example, the Bible says that God was exercising self-control toward ancient Babylon, an enemy of his people, Isaiah 42. Similarly, for now, he chooses to tolerate those who misuse their free will to harm others, but God will not do so indefinitely. Did you hear what I just read? 
that is a definition of free will that a lot of people believe. But that was off the Jehovah Witness website. Now, how many of us have toyed the idea of free will and God's sovereignty? That is off the JW.org. If we believe that we are created in his image and he has choice, so we have choice. Listen, I'm going to tell you how I pray, and I'll end with this. I know that I'm not born of the blood of, of blood, born of the will of blood. I know I'm not born of the will of man. I know I'm not born of the will of flesh. I know that I'm born of the will of God. You know how I know that? By the way I pray every night. You know how I pray for you? Dear God. Dear God, thank you for joy and her sweet family and allowing her to be. I don't pray to joy. I don't pray joy. I pray God. Thank you. God, thank you for Matt and Jessica and Anna and their leadership here. Lord, God, thank you for our church. God, thank you for our deacons. God, heal this person. God, save this person. If we don't believe that we're born of God, we can't even pray. And we live in a day and age where everybody's analyzing isms. And well, nah, nah, I read on the internet, listen, he, he's either got to be God or he's not God. We don't get to choose. We need to be careful how we use the word free will. Because every time I pray, I pray to God. God, you open up the hearts of those blind people. And as I share the gospel, I want to preach. I want to pray. I want to pour tears out of my eyes and persuade them to come to Christ. Dear God, your word says that whosoever believes will come. Who will come? Whoever believes. That's, that's God working through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews rejected Christ. The world did not know Christ. But we can. Because God sent his son and the spirit to open up our hearts and our mind so that we may receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what light in life is. We dance around theological terms and we try to do all this, that, and the other. Listen, all I know is this. That God has given me the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I believe every word of it. I believe there's a sovereign God in heaven working in ways that I can never understand. I don't understand. I don't understand why anybody has to die. I don't understand why anybody has to be sick. I don't understand so many things, but if I don't have a theology that rests and there's a loving God over everything, we're in trouble. I also believe that we need to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and every man and woman and boy and girl needs to respond by faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's biblical. Jesus said, but all who did receive and believe, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me ask you this this morning. We're going we're gonna to sing in just a moment. We're going to sing a hymn of the faith, shine on us. Let me ask you this. Apart from the spirit, that's what makes the gospel so one. Somebody said, well, pastor, how does somebody get saved? The gospel is proclaimed. The Spirit takes the gospel and puts it into our heart. And then the God says, will you respond to that? 
Let me ask you this this morning. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what, I don't care what you've done in the past. I want to ask you this this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have the assurance this morning that you have repented of your sin and you've placed your faith in Christ? It's not about something you did years ago, even though if that doing something years ago was your profession of faith. I'm not trying to be sneaky or anything, but a lot of people don't know whether or not they're truly saved. You need to know you've given your life to Christ. He is the light of the world, and he brings light into darkness. And remember last week, darkness will not overcome it. You need to know without a shadow of a doubt that you have repented of your sin and you placed your faith in Christ. Number two, do you love him and do you love his church? We've lost the influence as a church in America because we've stopped following Jesus Christ and loving his church. The White House isn't going to fix this country. No political regime is going to make any lasting changes to this country. And when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a Republican or a Democrat labeled on above the walls when we get there. Amen? The church is where the difference is going to be made. And Christ is building his church one heart at a time. When is the last time God used you to do something supernatural in a way that only God can get the credit for? When is the last time that you sat down with an open Bible and an open heart and weeping eyes and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody? When is the last time that you were so concerned about where somebody would spend eternal damnation that you shared enough to share the love of Christ, of what Christ has done for you? That's what it's about. We know that God's got to open up their eyes to the gospel, but we're not willing to share it. You know what I love about the gospel and the Holy Spirit, what I love about Christ? It's personal. You know, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be that we didn't do this or we didn't do this because of that. It's going to be we did this and we did not do this about because of Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ this morning? Do you love him? Do you love his church this morning? Do you love your purpose that God is giving you this morning to go and share the gospel with the world that so desperately needs to hear it? Do you believe that he is a light and a life of the world? Or do we just read these verses and agree with them and fail to let them take our life over? Let's stand as we pray. Oh God, we love you so much because you first loved us. We are thankful, Lord Jesus, that you are who you say that you are. And Lord, I think about all this week, I was thinking about John the Baptist standing by the river, pleading and pleading and pleading that the people would repent of their evil deeds because that Christ is coming, the light is coming. Lord, I pray that we are people, that we are the same, but we are saying the light has come. Lord God, let us know you. Let us believe in you. Let us follow after you. And as your light has shined upon us, let us receive it and believe it and live it out. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.